Welcome to How Did You Think of That? My name is Temple Grandin, Professor of Animal Science at Colorado State University. And I'm Sherry Quinn. You've probably heard of a makerspace or have been involved with one. Simply put, they are places where you can make things with tools for creativity and where hands-on learning is the main goal. Makerspaces are in schools, libraries, and all sorts of organizations and institutions. They're popping up everywhere. They often include a woodshop, 3D printing, audiovisual equipment, computers, even sewing machines. Kathleen White and Maro Devlin Clancy are makerspace gurus. They are both educators based in California and co-led an NSF-funded project to develop strategies for makerspaces that focus on recruiting STEM teachers who are in short supply these days. They aim to help fill the growing need for more hands-on learning from early childhood education through college. In conclusion of this two-part series, Temple and these two makerspace gurus discuss some of the challenges educators are facing in this new uncharted era of ChatGPT and why makerspaces should be geared for everyone. AI is going to replace doctor diagnosis and law before it replaces the hands-on stuff. Did you know that ChatGPT passed the bar exam almost at the 90th percentile? Oh, no. (laughs) Like all those things are just exposing the assessment, right? More than more than the point of the assessment, right? So it's exposing that we are asking students to write like our assessment tools, like write an answer to this question, right? And even before chat GPT, you know, students would go to Wikipedia and copy and paste and we could see that they were copying and pasting, right? So it's, I think it's challenging the assessment and the practice of teaching and how we you know, it's it's, it's yeah. advanced in technology that's asking us to rethink how we're going to accept well, how we're going to We're not using demonstration. Clean up yeah. the crappy grammar. Yeah. Yeah. It's also very good. They know very good at summarizing a, mm-hmm. a bunch of information. Um, these are the things yeah. that it's going to take out first. Mm-hmm. But all the stuff with the mechanical things, I like making sure the water pump doesn't get hacked. That's not going to be protected by ChatGPT or any other. AI program because the things let's say just hands-on jobs like a physical therapist a dentist you know the primary doctor there's a lot of things like that nurses but that's not going to get replaced right okay the things that i saw like building that beef plant i can't see ai touching any of that stuff anytime soon the way i've been seeing it impact um you know and i have 11 year old twins so i see like you know that they just use the technologies and i feel like it yes it is it is replacing some of the things that used to take us longer to do and the steps that we had to take to produce a technology i think those are going to be shortened and ai is going to do a kind of end up doing a lot more of those um but i feel like it just reinforces this need to 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 like kind of get through and get to really like what is important what's the important experience that a student needs to have like what like yeah. how do you if we were asking them to write to prove that they were getting this knowledge or skill and they writing's not going to be a good way to have them demonstrate that they know that and how are they going to apply that meaningfully in their life just like temple has been saying about how you know 
like they they took a welding and became an entrepreneur or they took um this uh, technical skill and like created an industry in their in their town i think it we have to as teachers continually like push away the things that are getting in the way of getting these important skills to our students and the more that come at us the more we have to be very focused on how we're going to do that and always thinking about the strategies for making that happen and always thinking about who's in the position of deciding what tools teachers have in order to um, be able to well, do that. I'm thinking about like uh, when one of my first jobs, I was livestock editor for the farm arrangement magazine. And I was very good at covering a meeting and summarizing speeches. Okay. Let's say you had a recorder in there recording that cattle feeders meeting. I think you know, chat GPT probably could do a really good job of just summarizing the speeches. Mm -hmm. Now thinking about that job, but let's say going out and doing a feature article on new dairy, for example, that would be um, something that, uh, you know, why is this dairy important? Why is, should I write about this new dairy and maybe not about some other new dairy, for example? It's not going to, you know, take that over as much. In the three years of their Makerspace project, White and Clancy said they reached more than 300 people they explain their strategies in developing these creative spaces. One of them was that we had this class, Maker 100, Practices of Making. And Practices of Making was a general education course, three units, four credit that could transfer to both California State University and the University of California. And it satisfied a um, graduation requirement for our AS degree. And that one we offer, you know, the makerspace has limited, but we offered that um, and then like presented to students in that class, oh, you're interested in making, th consider teaching. So we would like recruit kind of from that. Mm -hmm. And that was probably, you know, 150 students who went through that course over the three years. And then we also had a class Maker 33, which is Makerspace for Teachers. And that we offered during the summer or when when teachers weren't working. And it was, a, it was in COVID, so we had to teach it online, but we made kits that had like tinkering materials and a 3D pen and um, microcontrollers. And we sent kits to the teachers' homes and then we had like facilitated making online. Um, they could make videos to document their work or um, portfolios, that kind of thing. And Kelly, I think maybe that was another 125. Yeah. yeah, something like that. You had all those workshops for targeted groups of students too where we yes. introduced teaching, but also for many of them, it was introducing a lab for the first time. So yeah. high yes. school and college students. Yes. And so we did that. And then we also had um, a change makers day where um, it was like a one day conference and breakout sessions with the 3D printer or the small wood shop, or um, I think there was a, a sewing session and there was a microcontroller session. So we had a breakout. So I would guess maybe around 300. Yeah. And it's a very high touch experience for the students. So I know some NSF grants have, you know, conferences or things like this, but this is very high touch. All the participants got to do hands-on learning. They got to design some instruction. So if I'm remembering our numbers correctly, Kathy, I think yeah. that's at least from the maker side. I know that the child development and right. um, early childhood education had much more and has led on to other things like um, Kathy's program will be offering like an apprenticeship for teachers and other things. But it was it was very high touch. All the experiences tended to be a semester 
semester long or a few days long, something like that. We also offered, Maura and I co-offered a number of workshops, both for our future teachers here at our future teacher conferences, but also really throughout the country. We had workshops with a broad number of participants who, where we shared kind of the strategies around integrating makerspace into teacher recruitment and some of the value for hands-on learning and um, we did workshops often I can't remember over the three years but it seems like we were doing them all the time we did we did so there um it's it's very interesting because there's an academic makerspace community and I think we were one of the only projects that focused on um, doing it from the teacher's perspective yeah yeah yeah, and which in was fact, really when we did our demonstration at the NSF conference. I don't remember any other projects where the focus was mm-hmm. recruiting teachers at any of the booths. They were all really complicated kind of, you know, engineering projects or weather related projects or wind projects. But our whole premise was you don't get to this level of learning unless you had a good teacher and who's going to teach these courses i would agree with i would totally agree with that yeah if we don't encourage good teachers to go into the field then you won't have any of these booths pretty one of the problems we've got like in the university there's still a lot of emphasis on uh, let's count up your research publications and your grant money right like tenure there's not enough value put on teaching Next, Clancy explains how she learned to create teaching strategies that opened doors for more students, not just non-traditional ones. And there were some surprises. My home department is computer networking and IT, which is traditionally male, which is traditionally, you know, very specific demographic of of men. And um, so we had this project, Cal Women Tech, where we were looking at how could we make our classrooms more inclusive for women? Because entry-level IT jobs get you into an organization. You don't need to know algebra. You get to immediately solve problems. You get to understand how the organization works, make a difference right away. And we found that anything we did to improve the outcomes for women improve the outcomes for men. So we were just looking at how we were teaching and is there a way that we could be explaining scheduling our classes so that students could be in a position to attend them during a time that was more convenient? How were we explaining things? Were we using pictures and um, demonstrations? Were the, did we have tools that fit the hands of the students? Or were we, ask, were we asking, you know, every student of every shape and size to use the same, you know, size gloves and the same size equipment? So, so these things that we do to improve the teaching, you know, for the non-traditional student end up, end up helping everyone. And it just, it shows you that it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that it works for some students and it doesn't work for other students because it's all arbitrary. It's all up to the teacher to create an an environment and decide how they make a student feel in your classroom. And it's up to the college administrators to do the same thing, to decide that their school is going to be a place where anyone can meet their goal and can be successful regardless where they come from. Can I add one more thing? Um, I think we don't think sometimes of the social impacts of 
children especially and their ability to experiment but we're we're in San Francisco and we're ground zero for a very high cost of living yeah. um housing's very yeah. expensive people are having smaller families and if they're having families at all because it's so expensive and so difficult to balance the costs and so when you have children growing up in small environments where you know the housing is small and they may not have access to the outdoors they may not have access to a place to do hands-on learning you have to look at the environments you're dealing with and then provide community spaces where kids can go and be kids they can use tools they can they can um experiment uh, uh, with what it's like to own a, a pet when you have small housing, very often families don't let their kids have pets. They don't have an outdoor. They're not gardening. They don't have access to. Well, I, I would. I totally agree with that. Like when I did my book, Animals Make a Shoe, and that was a number of years ago. But I had a book signing outside of Denver, and I was kind of asking people about pets. I found like something like good thirty percent or big number of yeah of families with the right age kids had never had any pet, not even right. fish, not a parakeet, nothing. Nothing. Oh, a fish. Even a fish. That, <laughs> no, even fish. No, I asked about fish. I didn't have fish. A hamster. Any anything. Yeah. And you look at and, all the skills and you I, learn. I, I think it's I think it's really bad. But this has been absolutely um, fabulous. I totally boy, I think what you're doing is just wonderful. But uh, I think about the heads of, of big businesses that I've I've done steel companies, banks pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. travel companies, hotel companies. And I say the first step you have to is realize that there's different kinds of minds and people think differently. Right. And they bring a different approach to problem solve. Yep. And people ask me all the time, because I'm in my 70s now, you know, what's your next thing you're going to do? I think things like I'm doing right now, talking about helping the next generation to come along, like last night at the ARC, I suggested that they, uh, for the my kind of mind, uh, have them take a water pump apart and put mm -hmm, it back together. Mm -hmm. And they're going to do that. Yeah, okay, good. these are the kinds of things that I feel at my age right now, I've got to, you know, bring up some of this stuff. I mean, got out in the field. Well, I had a great time on that. Oh, I had the funnest time on those two construction projects. But it's important once in a while to get out and, and still see stuff, too. You know, you can't just be in the office. Right, but absolutely. I'd, you know, I'm not old. I don't climb up on things the way I did anymore. <laughs> but helping the next kids that are different. Mm -hmm. I have kids that email me and they say that, you know, they they were me for a history. They dressed up as me as a history class and that inspired them. And, and I get sent pictures of them dressed up as me. <laughs> and in fact, I want to inspire these kids that are different. And there's right. too much of getting trapped into the labels. My kid's autistic. So the kids never learn shopping like you got to be kidding. Saving money, laundry, basics. Yeah. So I think it's absolutely wonderful what what you're doing. And, you know, you, you know, I say, Bill, how do you make change? Well, you do innovative things and then you write about it and you write about how to do it. Okay. We've talked in these videos here. This tells people how to do it. It's been absolutely wonderful. Sherry, I think this has been one of our most really, really helpful programs. I was thinking the same thing. You know, sometimes uh, teaching can be hard work, it and is to hard work. and to be invited to to talk about our project with you, I I really appreciate.
people ask me, how long am I going to keep teaching my class? I think being a wheelchair to teach my class. <laughs> and, this, and having this student come up to me last week, he stayed after when everybody else was gone. And, and I think he's somebody that thinks differently. And I, that how much my class meant to him, that made my day. It was really, for me personally, very great to come and get to talk um, about our project because it was it's important to remind us of how important the work is. And also to say thank you to Kathy, who was the leader of this project. And, um, you know, she's she's amazing and has done fantastic things for the teaching profession in California. So I just want to thank you so much. It was a really wonderful experience for me today. And thank you to Maura, our makerspace leader, that was rejuvenating to be here and reminded about how important our task is. I think it's thank really, you so really much. important. That was Kathleen White and Maro Devlin Clancy. How Do You Think of That is a production of the Utah STEM Action Center in partnership with SQ Productions. This podcast is based upon work supported by the National Science Foundation under grant number 1745674.